Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. Plushcare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. My guest this week has a really interesting story starting way back when he was a teenager. Joe Darling is the founder and owner of The Pottery Shed, a studio workshop with everything you need to make your pottery dreams come to life. Born and raised in America, Joe got interested in pottery at school and loved creating interesting objects with clay. He was trained as a police officer with the US Army and was deployed to Europe, but he maintained his pottery skills in Germany and even got the highest military award for his handmade tea set. In 2016, Joe launched The Pottery Shed right here in Sydney, a studio and teaching space, which is exactly how you'd imagine a 70s pottery shop with crafted teacups, bowls and vases everywhere. And by the way, if you saw Joe, he looks like something straight out of the 70s. When restrictions came around in March this year because of COVID-19, Joe quickly created an at-home pottery program for people to hire a kit of the materials with delivery of fresh supplies, collection and return of completed projects to people's homes. So he pivoted. He redistributed his product. I'm going to ask Joe how he adapted his offering when restrictions came to play. I want to talk to him about how important, how meditative it is to do pottery. And probably most importantly, what's the real purpose behind his business? It's obviously not pottery. It's not clay. But what is the sense and the emotion that he delivers to his students and all his customers? So let's get into this. Joe Darling, welcome to The Mentor. Thank you. Your business is called The Pottery Shed. You're in the business of pottery. Um, I mean, it's a pretty unusual thing, to be honest with you. Like, uh, where did that all come from? Where did you first start your pottery idea? Not many people did that sort of stuff. No, it wasn't popular through the uh, 90s and noughties. But I started back in the 70s, 80s, worked a little bit professionally, and then it all folded with the collapse of um, handmade wares due to globalization that actually pretty much turned around the um, the industry for people to be making wares themselves, in the United States at least. Yeah. And I found that the, the ready ceramic wares that were available, imported, were just taking over the industry. So I worked for a small business called Earthcraft in Riverside, California. Had a mall store right across from Levi Strauss. It was a big, major effort. And Levi Strauss was sort of, in Australia at least, was just kicking off around the 70s, so... I mean, it was a big deal for Levi Strauss to come into Australia. I remember that in a, a company called Surf, Dive and Ski, which is another company here that was sold Levi Strauss, but it was probably Levi Strauss been in America for a long time, I guess. So you can imagine the priority that this place, the shop had in a mall, one of these yeah. very popular malls. Yeah, because the first big shopping centre in Sydney was a place called in a place called Roselands. And the reason I remember is because I didn't live too far from it. It was out of the western Sydney. And um, what I remember, interestingly enough, is that 
Levi Strauss opened up in that in that um, center, as did Surf Dive and Ski, and it was like the coolest place in the world to go to if you had any money, because Levi Strauss for us are expensive jeans, yeah, yeah, yeah. and jeans really kicked off. You know, like denim jeans really kicked off and straight through the Levi, Levi Strauss brand. But you're saying to me that there was a pottery store across from that, right, in the shopping right. center. So it was popular. This store sold mugs. There were the, that was a big thing. Mugs with the faces on them and stuff like that. And that was part of my job. So when that folded in about 1982, I um, yeah, I was making a decision whether I was going to continue being a brick worker or not. Do I want to go out to the factory and make bricks? Because that's what I kind of thought of it as. I thought of it as just like the mundane. I was only 18 years old, 19. Can I just stop Because that's a pretty crazy thing, you know, like uh, you're 18, you've been working in a pottery store, you know, making various things out of, out of clay. But um, for someone to be thinking about a career in pottery at that stage, 18, I, I can only talk about Australia, but like that, that's sort of fairly hippie, really out there stuff. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, it, relatively speaking here, I mean, I would have got to kick up the ass from my old man if I had to suggest something like that. Yeah. W- was that like a thing in where you grew up or in your family? No, it wasn't. Well, I was orphaned, so I didn't have that kind of guidance. That was a big thing. But you orphan, you, you were an orphan. Did you get adopted or fostered or anything like that, or you, you grew up in an orphanage? No, um, at at seventeen, I was orphaned. Right, okay. uh, and um, I was given my own run of the mill, run yeah, of the yeah. place. Yeah, so you know, no parental guidance as such. Right. So, well, where where was the cool person who showed you pottery, or was that just something? Oh. That, I mean, there's no internet and shit like that in those days. So, yeah. I mean, what did you? Was there somebody, or you, was that just the only job that was available for you? And you just fell into it. So, my uh, parents were. I was down to one parent by this time, about fifteen years old, and uh, my high school teacher, cool guy real hippie taught me pottery and um that became my first foray into into making clay so i guess it just seemed like an important thing to do it was the thing to do for me maybe it was at the end of the era that had this huge wave that was happening back then which is probably a remnant i'm talking about the early 80s so this was a remnant of the 60s and maybe 70s and then as that tapered off here i was standing alone without much skill apart from working with clay and silver, and I had some skills there from my high school. Because that time, you know, like the late 60s and the 70s, um, that's Vietnam, it's a little bit like now. It was uh, what I can remember anyway. Um, I went to university during that period. and I mean, I was only reflecting the other day on the way we are today. Like there's so many splinter groups. There's so many people unhappy with the society. Everybody's sort of unhappy. They don't feel like they fit in. Mm. And it feels a little bit revolutionary hmm. as a time, whether it's caused by COVID or not, I don't know. But, you know, we are in the middle of a digital transformation period as well because we've been forced to become more digital. Um, back then, um, back in the 70s, um, there wasn't a digital trans. obviously it wasn't a digital transformation, but it was a transformational period. And it was coming off the back of, you know, the the hippie period, as I said, Vietnam, people starting to question, well, hang on, why should I go to war? Who am I fighting for? Well, what's the what's the deal? You know, politically it was a little all over the shop and people now are starting to try new things. Hmm. Back then, for me, people would have probably were starting new things. Hmm. In your case, trying pottery. Were you like a, a child of the um, the rebellion or the revolution during that period? Uh, you could probably say so, yeah. Yeah. It's probably the case. But being mostly on my own from the time I was 15, because my last uh, alive parent was very ill, 
for five years. So I was pretty much independent. Because you're looking for something to identify with. So that's it's quite interesting. 70s, I haven't thought this through, but the 70s, uh, that, that period relative to today, it's like, you know, 50 years. It's a 50-year gap. Half a century, we're going through the same shit. So you're talking to, there's always waves, right? There's always sequences of events. I mean, similarities and patterns, that's what I mean, in these 50-year, perhaps 50-year um, episodes. But the difference of this digital age is, is significant. What we have now is a group of people who don't have any access to anything other than a keyboard uh, in work. I mean, they spend their whole entire day without anything handling, without anything modeling, without anything holding. And um, I find that that pottery now is resurging probably mostly because of that real need. So as I like to think of it, earth is just one of the more elements, one of the many elements around us, and we just don't have enough access to earth. And so this is what I'm giving it. This is what this is available. And perhaps you, there is obviously a rise. There's obviously a popularity a spike or at least an increase at the moment. And uh, I have a feeling it's to counterbalance this electronics that are flowing through us every day. And what about if you go back 50 years in your own life, um, was that earth, you know, touching clay and digging it up and mm -hmm. shaping it and all that sort of stuff, um, basically that tactile environment, was that something that you think made good for your loss of your parents oh, or, the, or the suffering that you had 100%. gone through seeing your, one of your parents ill? 100%. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting, like, because California to me, I don't know, we, I think we have in Australia a lot of similarities to California, Californians. Absolutely. I mean, you always live in both places. Yeah. I mean, you, you would know. I mean, do you see that? I totally agree. This yeah. is like San Diego in the 50s. Yeah, Sydney? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the attitude of the people. Yeah. I mean, I always think people here are looking for something. Still you know? rebels, still want, you know, yeah. want to cut their own cloth, and but very similar to what the Californians or Americans have that it's a new land and there's new opportunity and plenty of growth and potential. You know, I was looking in the brief here sort of diametrically opposed to um, that mindset is the fact you're in the military. I know, crazy, right? So that's full on uh, structure, discipline, rules, no thoughts of your own, just do what we tell you. Um, can you just take me through that military Jesus. route? The whole political thing with Reagan back then was pumping money into the military. And they were under-educating the population. And with funding in the military, giving boys and girls the opportunity, the only, one of the very narrow opportunities to have a career. So I was part of that early, very early, I think it was an experiment or whatever it is now. And this golden door appears at our feet, or, you know, we're, we're going to pass through this door and get handed a, a good salary, good training, travel around the world, all these things plus plus A degree. More. Yeah. Yeah, because you get they, they, they pay you to study. Yeah, and that's what I took. So I couldn't afford I tried a bit of college back then after I left high school and uh, it didn't work out for me. But uh, it was interesting. Then I went into the military and took on their degree guarantee that I would be paid uh, a substantial amount of money after I left active service to go into the to go do my own studies. So I took that. But I had to sign up for two years active service and eight years inactive service. I signed up and I, actually I told them, I said, I want to be a radio broadcaster. And they said, we don't have that kind of role in the army. And I said, yes, you do. You have two of them doing my research. And um, 
And they said, okay, well, actually, I see, yes, we do have two role, two people who are radio broadcasters. And we'll let you know when that job appears, which it's not. But uh, that was my that was my ticket in. So I was real firm about that. I said, I want to work in the television and radio production. About a year later, so this was after the pottery closed down, and I had no, I was working in a pizza shop. That was really getting uh, getting me a little bit of cash, but it was nowhere. It was nowhere. And my, my old man, I remember talking to him on the phone, said, you got to just join the Army. You got to go do the Army. So I, I took advantage of the uh, golden door in front of me, and I um, signed up for it. But I had to wait until this one opportunity was going to open for being a radio broadcaster. Instead, I went back to my um, recruiter after a year of still barely cutting uh, enough cash to get by. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, why don't you just be, in, be a cop? In, in the military? In the military. Like military police. Military police, yeah. yeah. Yeah, You'll get lots of girls, you'll travel, you do all these things that you've told me you want to do. And so I'm like, bing, 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 sounds good. So off I went, and they gave me a guarantee to be the military police training in Europe to be assigned there and um, have that college education guarantee when I got out after two years. But that actually, that actually turned out to be a good gig. So I went through the whole training program in Alabama, spent about half a year going through the dirt and then pulling my way through boot camp and eventually... Um, into the refined police skills training, and was had graduated off and sent off to uh, to Germany. I was assigned to a uh, specialist detachment that needed guards for their weapons that were stationed out in the forest. And I sat in a little box with a red light on it every day, every night, when I was on shift for about twelve hours, with this shotgun, pistol, and a and a long range rifle. So you're a, you're in the military police. You're deployed to Germany. Right. Um, you're sitting in the forest or in a box with a red light on it, uh, fully weaponed up, and you've you've gone from pottery to that. That's a big shift. The, I mean, I'm trying to work out how these things shape people to, in your case, make shape some. You know, like is is it, it I like that is it escapism or um or is it? No, that's what I'm meant to do. And pottery to me, to me, like I, I'm an imbecile when it comes to shit like that. Like uh, you know, I'm a hard-edged business dude. So like, oh, I love pottery. I actually, love to look at pottery. I love to feel it when it's yeah. made. But for me to make it, I think it's oh shit. There's a lot of time involved, and uh, like I, I see it as like a luxury, like a, and a luxury which I, mm. I can't afford the time. Mm. And I look at people who do it, and I think to myself, um. What are they escaping from? Or, or then equally now when I'm sitting here talking to you, I'm thinking to myself, are they driven to do it? What do you think it is? I mean, people who do pottery, is it escapism or is it driven? you got to try it. So I've broken it down to some, a really simple way to look at it. Uh, it was quite a, quite a mystical skill craft up until I started looking at it differently. I started looking at the technical aspect to it. And guys often fall in love with that technical ability just to handle a big wobbly ball of clay and uh, shape it into something crude. Uh, ladies like to work with a little bit less clay, but also enjoy mostly of the other parts of it where you really start to form something, something usable, something shapely, something curvy out of that. But there's lots of different aspects to the clay and working with this stuff, and it's really ideal just to try it. What, what actually drives people, I, I don't know, but I can tell you that the result of handling it, the result of doing it has a significant effect. 
whatever that is, why ever that is. Well, what what is the, what what are your what, observed what effect? effects? Calmness. Yep. Peace of mind, uh, and like an itch that's scratched. That it's amazing how people will walk in, you know, almost with a twitch, their their face contorted and tight, and they'll be smiling ear to ear. They'll be warm and cheery. They'll be relaxed. Uh, in this environment where we are now, it's hard to describe. But if we were doing this radio show in my studio, you'd know exactly what I meant. It's just calm and peaceful. I focus on the, the sound. We play only Rolling Stones and, and hard rock. Nice tunes. Not, not too hard. We burn some nice incense all the time, just one specific kind. We keep the um, candles going all the time. There's always a candle burning in each room. And the lights are all dialed into a nice warm, what's it, about 3,000 Kelvin. I think they measure the color of the light with now. So the whole place is designed specifically all wood shelving, wood table, massive handmade wood table in the middle of the room, the wheels, the potter's wheels, and all the, the works that are spread out all over the place gives you this kind of a, a really interesting feeling. So in this context that we are now, it's hard to describe, but... No, 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 I think it actually makes sense. But it's probably why I said escapism, because um, we live in a hard-edged world today. Everything's metal, plastic, keyboards, you know, white light or blue light coming off a, mm. off a screen, noise, loud noise. So there's, no, there's nothing soft or gentle about business life today. Um, to, so to some extent, what you're presenting, you just described, um, light, smell, sound, and of course, pottery's touch. Um, you just described something as diametrically opposed to what we are doing right now. So it is easy for me to imagine because I'm just imagining the opposite. Mm. So, uh, and, and I guess to some extent, as what I said to you before, you went into pottery, then you went into the military, which is, as I said, is diametrically opposed to the pottery in terms of the structure. And then you've gone back to pottery, which to some extent is unstructured, which is why, I'm, why I was trying to get my head around where your customers come from. Um, your, when, you say your, when I say customers, your clients, the people you deal with. The students. Yeah, students, okay. Mm. Um, you call them students, okay. So, but they are your customers and mm. they, 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 they yeah. pay you. And you've got to work out what it is they really want, what you're trying to deliver to them. Right. And um, it's not just pottery. I mean, you are delivering something else. Oh, yeah, much more. What do you think it is you're delivering to them? Yeah. Yeah, give me a sense. Like, give me, yeah, yeah. talk me through it. Well, they're, they're getting from it this opportunity to block out, to completely shut up the Buddha box. Yeah, they're yeah. putting something around their head what, that doesn't have any influence around. There's no capability of answering a phone or talking to somebody, at least if you're focusing on this piece of clay spinning around. I mean, a lot of people try to talk or they drink wine and have a good time and make it social. But really, if you get into it, it's just like this silence that surrounds you, this serenity and this focus that you have uniquely, this one unique opportunity to have that kind of absolute focus on something. And then it's done. You know, you finish it in maybe five, ten minutes, and you move on, and then you take a break and have a drink and, you know. Are you delivering to them a balance? You know, what your business is doing, there's probably other things that do it too. Because everyone talks to me about meditation, they talk about mindfulness. Pottery is sort of a form of that. Very much so, very much so. But it's not necessarily, um, you know, just sitting on a mat and being mindful. 
or uh, meditating, it's actually doing something, making something. Mm -hmm. And I think it gives that that opportunity for people to have that quiet moment to meditate um, without really meditating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm actually making shit. Yeah, meditating is hard. I'm making a bowl. I'm making yeah. a set of bowls for my set for my home. I'm making my friend a Christmas well, that's present. Practical. Very yeah. practical. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so we've traveled a long way here and we've, we've traveled 30 odd years. Um, and the business that you are in is about what it is. We know you're delivering balance or whatever it is to people, but what is the product? Teaching people skills or what is it? That's a byproduct, I see. And it's a valuable one. But that's a byproduct, yeah. Teaching people skills. So what's your product? Two hours of balance. Two hours of peace. Yeah, of being able to come up with a, with a solid hobby. Something to do. Get yes, away. You want to leave with a, yeah, To so, escape. Yeah, so... I like yeah. that word, actually, more and more. Yeah. It escaped from... Yeah, there's nothing wrong with escaping from the shit. You know, yeah, like that, yeah. that's cool. Like, uh, every, and I think everybody wants. Some people think it's getting on the piss or, mm. or racing up to Byron Bay and going for a surf or going for a surf down Bondi. Or some people like to go to the gym. It's a it's a form form of all those things, mm. or an alternative of all those things. Maybe. So you, that's the business. I guess so. But yeah, and the product is a two hour block. Back from the break, we're talking to Joe Darling and we're talking about his business, how it rolls. And we want to talk about how does a product get delivered to all their customers or mm. you're really running classes, aren't you? I mean, for students in groups or one-on-ones or how. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, yeah. We have a we have every two hours back to back, we have class structure. Right. Two hours and it's a formal structure, very rule based. Right now is a group of six people that join together for that. Right. And it's led by one teacher with an assistant teacher. But Everybody else in the room, there's also people welcomed in for another, the, the equal two-hour session, but they are what we call practicing in a session. So it's about half that price, and they can come and go and do whatever they like during that two hours because they've already had that first lesson. It only takes that one class to learn that skill set, but it takes your whole lifetime to practice it. Mm-hmm. So those sessions are what are used to practice. So the room's... Got about eight people floating around in it doing their practicing and six people doing their the first up first up lesson. And the practicing people can check it out. They can come in and listen, watch it, ask even questions. They can interrupt. That's all fine. Or there's videos that I've produced and they're 
they're posted up on iPads around the studio. They can get into those videos and watch how that class is done, broken down, because it's the same class done by me, and it's um, pretty straightforward. It's broken down to the, the style that's, that the clay's handled, and every lesson is broken down the same way so that it's all pretty much consistent throughout the studio. And then that's in a workshop. So there's one workshop for the first class, another workshop for the second class of trimming your clay and decorating it, and then another class, a workshop for the third class of glazing it. Yeah, but Joe, Joe uh, I mean, I, I was just looking at you here, I mean, like, uh, you know, like as you were explaining that to me, and you're an unusual-looking character. Um, you got a, I mean, for your students I'm talking about, but you got this um, big handlebar moustache, um, beard, you had two shirts on, yeah. no shoes on. Um, now, I want to ask you, is that you being affectatious in terms of marketing Joe Darling's business hmm. or is that Joe? It's old Joe. Old Joe. Yeah, 57. Yeah. I'm going to do what I want. So you, this is really Joe? I hope so, yeah. Yeah, this is Joe. That should be. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, no, totally. I get it. Um, because you look like, uh, well, it's pretty unusual. Like, you know, I mean, I'm underdressed, but I've, but at least I got shoes on today. Um, but yeah, it's pretty. You look like a, a product of the '60s or '70s, still today yeah, in yeah. 2020. This is the way I looked when I was 13. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, I like that look. I mean, there's not many people of your era still around, hmm. that, especially the, in a in a creative leadership role. Yeah, totally. There's, I mean, uh, uh, do your students, you know, your audience, do they do they resonate with that? Does that oh, resonate? With, do they get man. it? Yes, yes, yes. Do they say stuff about it? Are they all like, the time. Yeah. I mean, it's a distraction to some point. Like last night I was helping out a student who was struggling with this massive wobbly piece of clay, and I just leaned down and touched it lightly with my hands to get it back in line, and she looked up at me and she said, oh, my God, you've got the most amazing mustache I've ever seen. <laughs> it yeah. is a good – pay good, attention to your clay. It's a ripper. I mean, that that would go – that could look like uh, – I mean, I don't know, I'm, I'm sort of – People need to picture this, but I mean, a part of this business is artisan, and you know, Joe looks like he's come straight. So, like, you're a portrait of yourself. Hmm. No wonder that people sort of resonate around it, or certain people resonate to it. Like, they will be attracted to it. They'll say, "Wow, this is a real deal." Hmm. Looking like that is freedom. Yeah, it is. It is right. Walking into the Triple M Studios here is a full-on digital environment. You walked into like, four or five floors of yeah. stuff in the World Square. And you're walking no shoes on. That's pretty cool. But, you know, the reception, everybody who meets me, everybody who sees me, no matter stranger or friend, always treats me well. Yeah. Always welcomes me. I feel very warmly received everywhere I go. So it's it's probably the the whiskers are gray or white and that it gives me that kind of a kind of a more senior look. Yeah, I like but, it. I I I've worked hard for this. So, how do you attract your student population or your your audience how do you get to them how do you find I, them i have no idea but i'll tell you what they're all over me but how do you find like you, you got yeah, you, you, no. uh, any instagram well or? yeah i keep it instagram because i want to post the, it's perfect instagram it's it's just like raw shots mm. of those pots that students make I well, what's your instagram page what's your handle called the pottery shed underscore the, the pottery shed underscore right um and so it's got just shots of the pots when they have a unique blend of the glazes or the students done a particularly nice job or an unusual job. Any anything that I find unusual, I'll pop in there. And then the general business model, though, is that you invite people to come to a course at at your shed, 
sorry, Hills. Yeah. You, you invite people to come to course. It's a course. Six people in a course. They pay a fee. They get two hours worth of tuition, and then they, as you said earlier, they have the opportunity to come back and sort of practice out the back somewhere in another section, and or stick their beak into whatever is going on in the class. Yeah. And they pay for, when they come back. Do they pay per session, or they pay? That's right. Per yeah, session. They, they pay for a seat, basically. Right. Yeah. So you're rolling these out two hours every two hour shifts. Yeah. Know, bang, 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 bang. So what happened when COVID hit? Uh, seats were empty. Yeah. I hung on there as long as I could. I ignored the shit out of it. I just just stuck my head in the ground. No, the idea was that that the studio was serenity. The studio was never a shadow of a doubt that a bug could be in that place. And it works. It works. If you just kind of just keep it out, keep that Buddha box on your head, and la, 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 la. So that worked until nobody showed up. So what did you do? You sit down and talk to yourself or others, or what do you? Yeah, no, I, I called up all my colleagues who do pottery similarly, yeah, and asked what they were going to do, and um, decided that what I could do is meet people in their homes, you know, to handle it that way. So I came up with a, a new product. Just redistribute your business. So yeah, the same but, product, but redistribute the business. and utilize everything I could possibly pull into it and make it a valuable piece. And I had to charge for that too. Yeah, for sure. But people are probably prepared to pay for it if they're getting something out of it. So give me an example. Like I, I, I was one of your students. Um, I can't come to the class anymore. I live in uh, Redfin. What would you do? Well, we the big bonus of coming to the studio and being part of that program for a two-hour block is that you get all the materials, all the tools, all the skills, all the firing services that you need to complete the work. No extra costs. Wouldn't you say for it? You mean the clay, the the, yeah. the thing that turns the wheel, the wheel, the glaze, and then you got a, the glaze which you, you apply, then you put it in the oven. Yes. So the oven's baking it at a thousand one hundred degrees, yeah. and that's a massive amount of energy. So it's a huge industrial. So we're not, we're not going to be putting an oven at home to sort of right. cook it. Yeah. Yeah. Did you take it out the, everything to the home? Did you, exactly. Yeah. And so I offered like a. It was rather expensive when I did all the numbers, but I thought yeah, I'd just totally. pitch it out there. Uh, but we were driving it back and forth. We were taking taking fresh supplies to them at home, leaving them in a in a safe way, and um, bringing back all their wares, firing them, taking them back to them for glazing back and forth every week. So oh, I don't understand the process. Could you, you don't mind just explaining? Sure, sure. So so uh, you give me a you would take a wheel out to me and a lump of clay. I mean, is that a wheel? That's right. Yeah. And I shape it. Yeah, you plug it in. Sp- splatter clay all over your walls in your living room. Yeah, and and shape it into something. Yeah, and then I'd ring up and say, "Mate, can you come pick it up now?" And I'd be coming back anyway on Wednesday at two o'clock on a regular. Yeah. And on a regular you would schedule. do what with it? You would take so it. I'd away. Take it in a basket with all your other lumps of clay that have been shaped that way, and I'd let them fully dry, cure, and then pop them into a kiln, fire them to a thousand degrees. Yep. Bring them back to you. Now right. they look like a terracotta pot. Yep. Like raw clay, but yep. only in a different color. But we bring them back to you, and you've got also in your kit. The glaze material, which is a very high quality silica water based paint with minerals for colorings. And that's applied with a brush or dipped in or whatever. It's applied and then you leave it for us to pick up again for the next week. And you fire it up again. Yeah. And we fire that and bring it back as glass finished yeah, pottery. Yeah. So, and, but that, that, that sounds fairly inefficient relative to having everybody come to the class. <laughs> How'd you do that? How'd you manpower that? Well, I told everybody. You want to you want to keep earning money, then this is the job. Yeah, yeah. And they were like, "Yeah, we want to keep earning money." So, yeah. So it's sort of like a home delivery pottery. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, very much. I mean, so. I think you didn't deliver it at the kiln, um, but you, right. did you but did you deliver the wheel? Or is that a yeah, big yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah. Is that wheel. a big deal? A wheel? Like, or does anyone can get That's that? That's bulky. No, they're about fifteen hundred bucks. Are they really? Yeah, and they're bulky. Um, so we we carried them around. Yeah, I got oh, right. a SUV. But, I just load them in the back. Would you have got through the same? I mean, I'm interested because I mean, I guess if you're running a business and it's two, you were doing it in two hour shifts and you're doing say six a day, that's you know six days, thirty six people. You know, that's all doable, but, we, but there's 24 hours in a day. So we're able to do 36 people in a day just pushing further out later into the evening and starting much earlier in the morning. Are we able to do that or not? It's just not possible. I think we could just, really only hit about six a day. It turned out to be mad. I mean, even though the streets were almost empty back yeah. then, um, getting around was still difficult for us because we just weren't used to being delivery people. So we were using Google Maps to try to figure our way around. So you become a logistics business in some respects. Yeah. You know, logistics about, okay, we're all, uh, how many people were helping you do the deliveries? Four others. Okay, so four. Here we are. Five old. You know, eight o'clock in the morning. Uh, you're going to uh, blah, blah. You're going to so-and-so. You're going to uh, Linfield on the North Shore. You're going to the suburbs. You're going to the West Suburbs. And you're going to the city. And then you've got to be back here by a certain time because we've got another one to deliver. And kind of, then today's pickup day. Right. Yeah, yeah. So you had to schedule shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the military came back in. <laughs> because yeah. it is, because it's like, yeah. it's, to, to, because to have efficiency, you've got to be rule-based. Uh, and yeah. rule, it doesn't mean you can't do this, you can't do that, but rule-based. In other words, these are business rules. Right. And I don't mean in a, a bad way, but you need to use Google Maps. Yeah. Um, we need to make sure that um, we're, the, we're most efficient in terms of, well, there's no point driving to Linfield and not dropping off at, uh, I don't know, Roseville, which is near Linfield. I mean, you know, there's no point doing two trips. You yeah. might as well do one, you know, and, uh, and therefore we've got to have a truck that can, or a van that can accommodate two kilns, which means we've got to have two kilns. But I might only have six kilns. Um, so today, instead of you taking kiln out to another one. A wheel, yeah. Sorry, wheel. Um, you, you take one of those that you might say, today's your pickup day. You, you're not delivering wheels, you're picking up. Right. Yeah, I mean, this is... Logistics business, right. all it of is. a sudden. Right. All of a sudden. Yeah, and how did that go? But it worked. It how did it go with your brain? I mean, how was your brain with all well, that? Well, pottery is, if you saw the studio, you'd, you'd just be dazzled. It's a very logistics-heavy process, too. There's thousands of pots from students cycling through the process of being kiln-fired, stored in, under plastic, waiting for after the all-firing, waiting to be picked up. The whole thing is mo is organized by some bespoke software that I made about five years ago. So you, you employ software to do, to do the execution part, the, the business part. Yeah. And um, modifying that with, uh, with the deliveries wasn't that difficult. Right. But it just required that we just considered. So we laid out, we laid out kits in, our, in a large box. We put up 20 boxes. We filled them with the kits. And then um, whenever one was going out, we'd just grab the whole kit and move out with that. So that was pretty much the way it worked. But we only had one person working a day, and they were handling like four or five kits. That's what I mean, six maximum per day. And how'd you work out the pricings? Because obviously you got a, it's a different Oof. category. Like, I mean, it's oh, and it's a luxury to get it delivered to your home, so you got to pay a premium. But, you know, you got to cover your costs, and you got to make a few bucks on the side. Like, yeah. I don't remember exactly what I did. I usually use a spreadsheet and just kind of calculate what my end result has to be. Yeah. And, work backwards. Um, yeah, I work backwards. Come July, when when the shutdown or lockdown sort of subsided here, at least in New South Wales, 
did you go back to your old format, your old your old come into the studio type deal, or do you, or are you doing both now? It naturally it naturally fell away um, because the price of this was was actually pretty expensive. It was like three twenty a week, right, for that service, right. So that got us through that really difficult time, but mostly it employed the people that I needed to keep engaged. Yep. And uh, some of them weren't qualifying for JobKeeper. Yep. For whatever yeah, the reason. casuals and whatever, yeah. 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 Foreign residents and that sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah. That was my first priority was to get them in so the studio. So your first priority, that's interesting, Joe. Your first priority was, I guess it has to be, but your first priority is just get through this for when it reopens. I mean, and the first yeah. priority is therefore I need to keep my infrastructure right and my people. Yeah. Yeah. The heartbeat and, of it. Keep yeah, it yeah, going. yeah. And, uh, you know, I use JobKeeper, but i got to also generate enough re- revenue to pay for all the other costs. You've got to pay rent or electricity or power. I mean, I guess you, you choose for a lot of power there. Totally. Yeah, so you got you got to sort of keep the wheels turning, which is probably how everybody, well, a lot of people didn't think of, of the approach that way, but that's probably how most people did approach the business. And now that we're operating within, with COVID, whatever that means, um, we still got a business because the thing is to make sure we still got a business. Mm-hmm. Um, and hope what you, we all did was hope that the customers will come back, mm-hmm. back to our old system, which has sort of happened. Is it, are you back to normal pretty much? Uh, not quite. Uh, more like about 60, 65%. But it's with the latest government uh, relaxing of the two square meters. Is that what they're coming yeah, up yeah, with yeah, next? Yeah. It's going to be, it could literally be back to normal. I could pump it back up full throttle if I wanted to. But... Uh, I have to have staff for that, so yeah, that's always a balance. Well, and it's a, it's a toss-up. Do I pay for the staff first and hope the people come back, or do I wait for the people to come back and be understaffed and then backfill? Totally. Joe, I always give her an opportunity to ask me a question. I've been doing all the asking the questions and stuff. Um, but what do you want to ask me? You got anything you want to ask me? Yeah, I've got a um, I've got to work out. My rent was abated back uh, at the beginning of COVID through my f- refusing to pay it. Yeah, but luckily my landlord is was pretty cooperative. It thought, the place is a derelict warehouse. And I've got to um, make amends for this period of time that wasn't paid for. Yeah, you've got to pay. Generally speaking, they, if you pay like, I don't know, whatever, 50%, you've got to pay back half the other 50% that you didn't pay over a period of a couple of years. They're the rules. Explain that. Well, it, let's say it rents 100 bucks a week. Yeah. Um, if your revenues were down, which obviously they were in your case, the rules that were that the state government put into regulation was that the landlord should give you an abatement of rent of fifty percent. So you now only pay fifty bucks a week. The fifty abatement, you mean cut out? Yeah, just well, just a, a six month abatement. So for a six month period from March to now, you only have to pay fifty dollars a week. But the fifty dollars a week that you don't pay the abatement, the, uh, the the part that was put in abeyance, right? Half of that is still repayable, half oh. is never repayable, half of that, so $25 a week is still repayable, but it's repa- to be repaid over, I think it's a three-year period. In other words, the part that was put in abeyance, yeah. 50% is repayable. Over a period of two or three years, yeah. And 50% is not repayable. So in the example I gave you, you should have paid, generally speaking, 50 bucks a week, $50 had been put in abeyance, of that, you now owe six months worth of $25 a week, which needs to be paid back to the landlord over a period of two or three years. Okay. You will have paid after two or three years, in total, 75% of the $100 a week, which for that six-month period. 
that, that, that stuff was put into regulations. So there is a state government regulation. Sweet. Yeah, I didn't know that. that. Okay. Yeah. And if your lease is going to end, say, December this year, you still have to pay it back over the period of uh, two to three years. But oh, that, and, even after the lease. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can, so you can pay it off after the lease. You don't have to go, oh, shit, my lease up, give me all the, the landlord can't say, give me all the money. Yeah. He has to allow you to pay it off over time. Oh, cool. But some people get better deals. Like I got tenants myself who I, where I've got tenants, they pay me rent. I just basically didn't take any rent. I just don't yeah. worry about it. But that's the worst you can do. What I just the example I just oh, gave you. Gotcha. Okay. That's the worst you can do. Um, and if you've got a good landlord, you might be able to just say, "Listen, no, I mean, I, I look. I tell you where it's at. I think anyway, commercially, landlords don't want to lose people hmm. because right now the hardest thing to do is get a hmm. tenant in a commercial environment or re- and or retail environment. Very very difficult. And if you're a good tenant, the landlords, the most smart landlords, at least practical ones, are saying, well, hang on, I've got a good tenant. They've got a good business. That's a good tenant. <laughs> um, they're easy. I like them. They're likable. Um, I'd rather keep Joe in here than have to be- Joe leave because I'm trying to screw him because I'm going to send him broke. Um, I'd rather have Joe here because if Joe leaves, it's going to take me six months or nine months to find a new tenant. The new tenant's going to come and say, well, I'm not paying you the $100 a week. It's not worth 100 bucks a week anymore. Mm. No business is worth the same rental anymore. I'll pay you 50 So he might as well stick with you anyway mm-hmm. because there's nothing worse than having vacant tenancies mm-hmm. for landlords. I, I know from my point of view. So I just kept some of my tenants on. You know, they were commercial tenants. And um, they, I mean, some I didn't take any rent for six months. And then, but now they're paying me rent and they're paying, in general, they're paying somewhere between 60 and 70% of the rent per annum. And okay. uh, I'm never going to get back what I lost, but it's just, uh, but at least I've still got a tenant and the place looks busy and you know, helps me get other tenants. So, uh, that, and, and they're good people. They're good tenants. They're good, nice people, do a nice shop, yeah. never cause me any trouble. So, you know, to me, sometimes the devil you know is better than the devil you don't. And this is a good landlord too, so I'm sure he'll... Um He'll come around, but we have we're just at that point where I'm got to work this out. Well, you you know what your worst you now know what your worst position is. Um, yeah. And th- there's a, a presumption there. The presumption is you have to be able to prove that your revenues are down by more than thirty percent. Well, that's easy. Yeah, I mean, if you've got JobKeeper, that would be the case. So, yeah. I mean, you just need to be able to show that in your accounts. I mean, I I, I'm, I am a tenant in one building actually in the city here, one of my businesses, and we went through this whole program and. The difficulty that you have is, did was your revenue down? And, you know, and you've got to actually get someone to show all this information to the landlord. You've got to be prepared to show them in hard, you know, hard copy. Here's my yeah. accountant signed off on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you can do that, you can negotiate a position. Okay, all right. Of improved percentage of the, rather than seventy five as the worst case scenario, I could improve my position. Something. Get a new deal. Just say, let's, let's, why don't I, I mean, landlords love to know they've got tenure of a tenant. So they might say, well, Joe, why don't you sign your lease? Yeah. Give it, we'll give you a five-year lease. That's that's music to the ears of a landlord, five-year lease, unless they want to pull the bill down and do something there. But that's music to their ears. And you might say, well, I'll give you a demolition clause. So three-month demolition clause, which means you want to pull a building down and you want to put a development there, which he probably does one day. I'll move out, give me three months' notice or six months' notice. I'll give you a three or six month demo clause. I'll sign a five year lease and I was paying you 100 bucks a week now. Mate, bottom line is the world's changed. I can pay you 75 bucks a week. Hmm. Do you want the deal? See what happens. Love it. All the best, Joe. Thanks very much. Thank you.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.